Welcome to the Rachel Kujup Show. I'm Rachel Kujup and my mission is to help you build a business that supports your multi-passionate lifestyle, create content with confidence and clarity, and launch profitable signature services and products. It is possible to blend who you are with what you do and gain financial freedom while still making a positive contribution to the world. I have helped over 3,000 people across my workshops and programs become respected and successful leaders and creators in their community. I know you have big dreams for your business and life. So are you ready to be seen and heard? In today's episode, I'll show you how to make it happen. Welcome to The Rachel Kujip Show. In today's episode, I'm speaking with an incredible human and peer of mine, May Kay Sang. May Kay is a sustainable visibility mentor, certified trauma-sensitive leadership coach and podcast guesting strategy trainer. She helps underestimated and underrepresented entrepreneurs to be seen with their consent as they become more visible to share their message to grow their impact-fueled businesses. She's been featured on over 55 podcasts, including System Save Me, the BS Free Service Business Podcast, the Copywriter Club, and more. By pitching herself onto a Lion podcast with her signature Pitch with Purpose framework. And finally, in order to increase representation for Asian voices, voices in the online space, she has created the Asian Online Business Directory as a free resource to help over 100 Asian entrepreneurs to be easily seen, heard and found for their respective areas of expertise. Today, we are chatting about trauma-sensitive business practices and how you can show up for yourself and your community in a way that honours everyone's humanity. I just know you're going to get so much from this conversation with Meike, so let's dive in. I am so grateful to have you on the show to talk about how to create a visibility strategy with a trauma-sensitive lens and because I know you're an expert in this space, I also want to chat about how unique intersections of our identity play a huge role invisibility in general. So this is a huge topic for us to cover. And we did chat off air about maybe doing a couple of episodes if that feels good to us. So before we dive deep, I would love for you to share what the difference is between trauma-informed and trauma-sensitive, because we're hearing both those words kind of used interchangeably in the online space right now. It's a hot topic. But the distinction is very, very important. So would you be able to explain that for us? Sure, I would absolutely love to. And my heart was like, now that I have been trained in trauma-sensitive leadership, whenever I see trauma-informed, I'm always doing my due diligence on whoever is uh, claiming that they are. Not to say that they aren't, but I really want to dig into where their training comes from and who is it by and all of those things. So Yes, these two terms do get used interchangeably. And the problem is, Rachel, is that trauma-informed, it sounds more appealing, right? That, oh, you're informed about trauma, but that's actually not what it is, um, at least not in, in its entirety. So trauma sensitivity is what I would personally think of the first layer of awareness of trauma work, basically. So when you are trauma-sensitive, 
that means that you have an awareness of how trauma impacts a human being. And I know that is subject to our individuality, but you know, if we're going to treat us, treat the human race as a monolith for just a moment for the sake of simplicity for this conversation, is understanding how different varying levels of trauma will impact your physiology and your psychology, right? So it's just being aware of if someone has been a victim of trauma that that means that they see the world through a different way it's kind of like the way the way that I see it is like this if you threw salt on your arm nothing you just feel like a bit slight abrasion on you know if you rub it right but if you have an open wound on your arm and you throw salt on it and started rubbing that would be so much more painful so I really want you all to think about it kind of like that Except for instead of open wounds that you can see, they are invisible wounds that one would only know if they were to acknowledge their traumas and what's happened to them. So it's kind of like putting metaphorical salt on an invisible wound. So that's the first layer, trauma sensitivity, having awareness of how trauma impacts the human body and our psychology as well. Now, when it comes to being trauma informed though, that is a lot more stricter, basically, to be able to obtain that, that title and represent it accurately. So being in tra trauma-informed means that you have been trained in a supervised setting for several years. I mean, in the UK, it takes about, it can take up to eight years to be considered trauma-informed. And it's because you need to go through the foundational training to become like whether you are going being a counselor, a therapist, or a psychologist, that obviously all slightly different but everybody pretty much goes through that first layer and then you need to specialize in trauma and so that's why if you take and I, when I say this um, I don't mean to come across as if I'm discounting the value of certifications out there however when I see a several week certification to become trauma-informed I that immediately raises a red flag in my mind because unless that is geared towards already existing professionals who are licensed therapists and counselors and psychologists, that can absolutely be fine. However, if it's for the average coach, for example, that's not sufficient enough to be able to hold a truly trauma-informed space. So trauma-informed, you have that supervised long-term training and you are a licensed professional and that is not everyone out there who claims to be trauma-informed in our current circles in the online business space. Thank you so much for the detailed explanation. I think it is so important because I'm going to be honest, I didn't even realize the difference until a couple of months ago because so many people were using it interchangeably. And then I started doing my own research and following people such as yourself. And I was like, hang on, there is a difference here. And then I went and looked into it more and realized there was a very, very, very big difference. And I mean, it's fine. We see words and phrases on the internet and often we kind of pick them up with our vocab. We may not be aware and we probably should be, but this is, a, in my opinion, a really strong kind of like word and definition that needs to be acknowledged. It's not something we can just use flippantly because someone such as ourselves will look at trauma-informed and assume a bunch of training or knowledge experiences. And I know a lot of people are wanting to acknowledge 
the trauma more. And I loved the analogy you shared with the arm and the salt. Thank you so much for that. And I, so I think a lot of people are looking to people in the business space who do have some of this training and can be supported in a certain way. And so when people are saying they're trauma informed when they're not, and we're accepting that um, it can prove a little bit uh, difficult for a lot of us. And I just would never want anyone to join a program thinking they're going to get some level of support and to not receive it. I've had some terrible support with different therapists and counselors over the years, which I won't go into. And I know how horrible that was, let alone in like a business space as well. Like I can just see it opening up a lot for a lot of people. And that's definitely not what we want. So why do you think we need to think about a trauma-sensitive lens specifically when we're building our visibility strategies in our business? Oh, so glad you've asked this question. And this is kind of like the main umbrella topic for today. To be honest, it started from personal experience because I recall in January 2020 specifically, I was in the middle of a launch when I was launching my podcast guesting workshop series, which is now available on demand demand but back then it was a live delivery and also of course a live launch it was during that time when I was being super visible um you know promoting it of course and then I received a dm and the contents of it was just of an inappropriate sexual nature and without going into detail I I am a how do I say this I am a trauma survivor of sexual assault. That was all I'll say. So you can probably imagine that that singular DM message was enough for me to want to close everything down, burn the launch away and hide. It was actually that point, Rachel, that when I wanted to talk more about this, about the importance of being trauma sensitive and being when being visible, I didn't just want to use my own experience. Like I didn't want that experience to be what qualified me. And that is what actually led me to that certification training. So shout out to Lisa Kuzman, who is the creator of that program. It's called Ready. And it's an International Coaching Federation approved training as well. And that was very important to me, at least for the first layer. Like I am not trauma informed yet. I will be when I eventually train as a therapist. That's that's like a 10 year goal, like um, training as a therapist and specializing in trauma, which I know is a very long journey. But anyway, one step at a time. But to answer your question, why is it so important? It's because we do not know what every single person in our audience has gone through. So if anything, without acknowledging the importance of seeing strategies through your unique lenses of how you see the world, that could be the difference between a strategy working and one not. And the problem is when a strategy doesn't work, often, not always, but often the leader who's the one training everyone in a certain strategy, they might wind up dismissing that person saying, oh, you're just having imposter complex right now. Like, oh, you just need to reframe that. You just need a mindset shift. And granted, that can help, but that is not enough to to actually really take into account what might be happening here. 
which could be a trauma response. In my case, it was 100% a trauma response that I was having. So that's why having a, oh yeah, just do whatever it takes, just put yourself out there as much as you can, that can work for some, but for trauma survivors, it can mean the difference between feeling safe in your own skin and not. That's why it's important. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate that. And you're so right. Like I've had the same advice given to me. Just, you know, keep going, Rachel. Like you're normally like a doer, like you normally do this, you know, like it must just be a mindset or like COVID. And then I'm realizing more and more the last few years, like I was having trauma responses to things and things that I didn't even recognize as trauma responses because we're told to bypass those internal feelings of safety and everything to, you know, because we need to be out of our comfort zone to like achieve in business. And I realized I was buying into the hype even recently. And then was talking to my therapist. I'm like, I'm having a trauma response, aren't I? And my business has triggered me. She said, yes. And my business has actually been the biggest trigger. If I'm going to use that word like that, the thing that's kind of brought up trauma for me in the last few years Yet it, it was always going to come up and I acknowledge that and I need to do that work. But my business has like shed layers of me and made me more vulnerable. It's made me more aware of how I feel in my body, how I want to live my life, all of those things. And so I think it's so important in our business. I love that you shared that because I have like an incredible coach who would never say anything like that to me. But I have had people in the past, even peers who didn't mean anything bad by it, which is like, oh, Rach, like, you know, hang in there, like, you can do it, just do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, no, no, I'm like, I'm feeling really not good right now. Like, I, I can't even do that. I don't want to do that. And I suppose I know that a lot of your values you shared in the past, like mine are like authenticity and honesty. And so if I can't show up feeling like my authentic, honest self, I pretty much can't share, write, create, or do anything and again then being told that I just need to push through is like the worst advice like ever why do you think we've been conditioned to just like push through our own trauma and then allow others to encourage us to just push through our trauma do you know like do you have any kind of thoughts especially I suppose if we talk to what we know specifically in the business space Oh, that's quite a loaded question. What I would say to this is actually I'm springboarding off a conversation I had with my friends who aren't business owners. And my answer to this question would be the fact that we do live in a capitalist society, right? So the, the slowing down and the acknowledgement of one's pain and trauma response, it minimizes output. That's all it is, in my opinion, anyway. Because, again, if you slow down, then that's less output from you and less social proof for a, for a coach to use to keep selling their, their stuff. And I, <laughs> I really hope I'm not just like putting a down on all the whole coaching industry. Some, not all. <laughs> but, yeah, it minimizes output. And it's uncomfortable to hold spaces for for um, especially if you don't know what to do. So it's very easy to override and bypass in order to kind of move to the next thing, right? Because as human beings, we want the least friction <laughs> as possible in the, in the work that we do and the people we work with. So I think it's down to discomfort and a genuine 
um, concern from a capitalist, capitalistic point of view, they actually minimizes output for us to slow down and acknowledge this. I love that answer. I've always thought something similar, but it was so nice to hear you articulately say that. Yes, it's about like output because capitalist society, you know, our team, coaches, the business world wants us to do, do, do and create, build, all of that stuff. So if we want to take a step back and say like, hang on, no, I want to rethink things or take care of myself. Everyone's like, whoa, 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 you need to keep moving. Why on earth would you want to do that? Like heel on the road pretty much, which is like a, such a wild thought when you think about it, like telling someone while they're like, like you said, while they've literally got like an open wound with salt and they're in pain to just like keep going on, like just to ignore it and go about their day. But essentially, like you said, that's exactly what we're just telling people so what questions can listeners ask themselves then so that they're showing up in their business in a way that supports their unique way of being and doesn't cause additional trauma before I answer that question there was a thought that just came to my mind I need to be I really want to say this um may I yes go (laughs) for it so another reason that you may meet resistance from others around you, whether it's your peers or whoever is holding space for you, whether it's your coach or your mentor or someone else you're learning from, is because when you are saying that you value something in your life that is outside of that that output, <laughs> it actually, it makes them reflect as well. And then it's like, wait, Rachel's focusing on her mental health and this is making me uncomfortable so I'm going to push that away because I don't want to look at what's going on I don't want to look at what I need to unpack and that's also another very viable reason why you may meet resistance from other people it's not because they don't agree but it's because they're not ready or maybe they're not willing they may not have the resources to actually do the same thing as you so the easiest thing to do for them to do is just to shut it down that is so true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love that. I'm so glad you said that. That is so true. I've had that in the past as well. And also you're right. It can be hard to hold space and not everyone is qualified. And I do want to say we shouldn't expect everyone to be qualified to hold spaces. Coaches aren't therapists. Um, mm-hmm. And so I make a clear difference um, with some of the advice that I seek between my coach and my therapist. And sometimes I even say to my coach, oh, this came up in therapy X, Y, and Z, which is why I would like to do this business strategy. I'm just sharing high level thought here. So you understand why I'm not no longer going to do, I don't know, show up live on Instagrams on Thursday mornings as an example. So I'll kind of Mm -hmm. share the little bits of information that are relevant to why I'm making decisions, but yeah, I do keep a clear distinction because especially me as a coach too, I am not qualified to hold space like for a therapy session to dive deep into trauma. I'm -hmm. happy for my clients um, if they feel comfortable to acknowledge that and to share top level things. And then I've even said a few times, like, you know, um, like I want to support you. I can see that you're hurting now. Like how can I best support you? You know, do we have like a friend we can call? Like, I think you need like support. All of those things, the best way I know how is like a, a peer and a human being. But again, I'm not qualified to even identify what is needed. I can only talk through as a friend. And so I did just yeah. want to share that because, you know, although we're talking about these qualifications, 
I don't, I think everyone should be trauma sensitive, but then I think, like you said before, like that line is kind of quite distinct when you know it, but also blurred when you don't. And so, yes, it's yeah, it, make, it makes yes. sense. Yeah. So, and so like, I can even be sitting there being like, I know that if this was me in trauma, my like therapist would be saying, look, cool, we've got to look at that. But it's like, I'm not qualified to even say that it's not my place to say anything like that. So I just simply ask what they need. And I've even like texted another friend of theirs and said, Hey, can you give Blair a call? She's giving me permission to message you. She needs you to call her off a coaching call, but that's as far as I'd go because my client asked me to. So Mm, yeah, yes. I just ask Learning, what they need and get their yes. permission. That that's really important. And whether it's you as the coach or the coachee or whatever that term is, <laughs> it's important to know where our scope starts and ends. And it's not always very clear, which is why setting those expectations in your application process, if that's how you enroll um, clients into your sphere, in the sales process, and also having continuous touch points. Um, because for example, in my own application process, so I have the sustainable visibility incubator where I hold space for six months for a small group of people, how to develop sustainable visibility strategies that take into account all their intersections and their humanness. And in, in the sales call process, I will ask about what does their support system look like outside of this potential community that they may be joining? because this community is not a substitute for human connection for the rest of your life outside of business you know so I had to know that they're not using this as a substitute for a personal need that they need outside of their business life that's number one and number two I do make it clear that sometimes in my trainings the thoughts that the thoughts that they wind up having can very often go to a place that's simply outside of my scope. I was like, there may be things that come up for you that aren't in my scope of practice to support you fully with. So are you open to starting or continuing working with your healer of choice? Should that happen? And so it's clear right from there. And then it's happened during coaching calls. I'll say, I would have that mental note and say out loud, I'd say, I feel that this conversation might be actually coming up towards that edge before it comes out of my scope. So I normally help them get to a point of pinpointing what it is that they need to take to that you know, choice, basically. And it's really important. Again, that, that, is, that is trauma sensitivity, having an awareness of how trauma impacts others, but I am not qualified yet to be the one that they process that with and where I help you know, provide tools and strategies for them to work on that. So it's like, oh, it's really hard because as a coach, you want to help your clients. It's like, oh, I really want to help you, but this is how I help you by saying that I can't. Right. And yes. it's tough. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's so tough. It's so tough. Um, yeah. And I love that we're talking about this because I think, you know, these are sort of questions that our clients and community should be asking themselves. Like, do they have those support? other supports and I love how you use healer of choice like do they have a healer of choice do they have a support network like are they in a place where they feel comfortable to maybe address some of the trauma that does come up um, I know me personally um, the last six months I've been invited in a few programs and I thought no it's probably going to bring up some trauma and I'm already dealing with other things 
I'm going to say no, because I know that I won't get the most out of the program. And I'm just feeling more kind of dealing with my own sort of thoughts and feelings, which I think a lot of us are over the past few years. So I'm like, no, I'm going to stay out of that space because I won't be able to participate like I want. Um, I won't be able to get most out of it. And I'm making the decisions based off that. And also, you know, not expecting, like you said, which I think, you know, no one normally does intentionally, but for that space to hold everything for me, why I process and have difficulties and why I need extra support. Um, I personally find that exhausting right now being in those spaces. And so again, which is also why I'm not participating in them because I'm not wanting to be in that space. I'm only wanting to turn up into spaces that I feel really comfortable to be myself, where I know what to expect, where I know there is an actual leader holding that space um, for us to show up in a certain way, as they have said. And I love that you also shared some of your practices for inviting people into your programs so that they are aware of the type of space, not only are they signing up to, but then what to expect, which can also um, reduce a lot of trauma. I hate not knowing who's going to be in a room and what they're going to say to me or what's going to come up for me. And that leads really nicely into one of my questions because I've had some terrible experiences being interviewed by a professional journalist and I've had my words and stories altered by editors. They're professional. I also have a background in these. So maybe I'm a little extra kind of knowledgeable of what to expect yeah. and the codes of conduct. But these experiences did not make me feel seen and heard. It sounded like they didn't care about my story. And that was essentially at the crux of my trauma of being homeless. So it was so traumatizing. And I know that it is a privilege to be able to hold space for people to share their stories. Um, And so I'd love to know, like, how can we take a trauma sensitive lens when asking others to show up in certain ways in our programs, podcasts and online spaces? Hmm. So, so your question is, what can we do to help facilitate more trauma sensitive spaces? Is that yeah? You know how I'm like kind of like rephrasing are, the question in my head. So that yeah, you know clicks. how like people turn up like you know coaching programs and they're like, okay, there's 30 people on here, so everyone, I want them to introduce themselves, turn the camera on, and you know what's the thing you're struggling with in business, like most at the moment. And I'm like, I would say I'm a very confident, like outspoken individual, and lately I've been like, oh, I don't feel good. Like, I don't, what, what, I don't know who these people are. And then I feel like I'm just making up, like making up something fun. Like, hi, I'm Rachel. Like, I love strawberries. And I'm just really <laughs> struggling to be like consistent on social media. Not true at all, because I don't, who are these people? Like, I, who is this coach? Like, I don't know anything. So I guess, Ooh. yeah, my question is like, how can we be aware of that in everything that we do? Well, I'm going to take a little page out of my book of my own process um because Please. what you just said about video that that's one thing I definitely want to touch on um but first before I start coaching I take a couple of minutes with the slides or slides um, that I have available and it's about how we can co-cultivate and hold each other in this group and how we can respect each other doing so so I, I just go through those slides, just allow everyone to come onto the same page because some people might arrive to the call flustered if, um, like say if they just finished 
picking the kids up from school and like you know that bit jumbled they just need that moment just to really like ground themselves and because the whole point is the fact that hey we are co-creating and co-cultivating a safer space for us all myself included because if I don't feel safe with my clients, which is why I have a very thorough vetting process, <laughs> not just anyone can join my programs. They have to be very, very heavily vetted. So it's a two-way relationship that way. Anyhow, I digress. Um, but yeah, so I take that moment to realize like, hey, here's how we can help each other, right? Another thing I always offer is, is they may be comfortable sharing with whoever's currently in the room, but they may not be comfortable with whoever is watching the replay so I provide the option if for any reason you would like to share but not have it recorded let me know and I will pause the recording and I'll only resume when your session is finished okay so I'll say that I do not force people to keep their camera on either because um there was a call that I was on today. Um, it was a coaching call with, uh, where I was an attendee. I wasn't, I wasn't the one holding space. I wasn't the space holder. Um, and at first I was on camera, especially when it was during my turn. But then afterwards I turned off my camera because it takes up capacity just being there on camera because I have a history and it's, it's not even just history. It's also my presence as well. Like I am prone to anxiety right and so a lot of these sometimes the simplest stimuli can be very overwhelming for me and so I will not force whoever is on who's choosing to take up this space on this coaching call where I'm holding the space I will not tell them you have to do it my way by turning on your video of course I need to see them but say if they wanted a written version I'd be like okay that's fine like let me know and then I can read it out for you. So you don't even have to speak, right? So I try to meet them where they're at the best I can. That still helps to enable my coaching ability. The, when, um, when I'm meeting someone where they're at to the point where it starts to compromise my care, compromise my coaching, only then will I kind of like nudge gently, um, like how I would be, how I'll need to learn the context of what they're asking right that's it but the point is most of this whole dynamic is consensual and that is the difference because again we're not trained in this as coaches unless you special especially go to trainings that will teach you about this that's why I joined that program with my mentor because I wanted to know not just about the how to become trauma sensitive as a human being but how do I apply that in business settings especially group dynamics because a lot of space to hold for people with varying lenses so how can you do that the best you can and so that is what I would have to share when it comes to how we can do a bit better of course I'm I'm not qualified enough to certify anyone in this however I can share from experience right now to see what resonates and you take what you will be behind what doesn't <laughs> resonate <laughs> I love that. And I'm the same. I work now um, pretty much just with everyone one-on-one in my coaching programs. I do offer workshops as well. Um, but in the one-on-one coaching programs, I, one of my questions on onboarding is like, do you have any um, like sensitivities or anything else that you think I should know? And some people share yes. things in the private life. X, Y, and Z is happening. So I may be distracted or whatever. And people don't have to share them with me, but I feel so honored that they do feel comfortable to share them with me. It means I'm creating 
a brave space um, that I'm also showing up in, you know, an authentic, honest, vulnerable way, because that's what sometimes is needed when we are coaching and moving through different facets and phases and stages of life and business. And another thing I do, um, you know, on the podcast is I always allow people to like restart their answers, to change their answers, to delete things, to double check everything, because I know what it's like to be on a call and someone to literally, it feels like just barge through everything you're saying or like a checklist, like tick, tick, tick when you said some things they want and then they're not actually like participating in a conversation I just don't think there can be anything worse and I think you're right with like the calls having to dance people expecting people to dance or people trying to do breath work at the start of calls to grounding like if you try and get me to do breath work I just feel anxious because anxiety for me is noticing my breath is out of whack and the tightness in my chest which is very common lots of people experience like anxiety in so many different ways. Or like you said, just feeling flustered and suddenly told to like count their breaths. Like why, why are we asking people um, to do this? These things that are seen as I think like fun and energized and, you know, like we're collective, we're a community. I think are actually, which is probably a different topic. A lot of them are stolen from a lot of um, different cultures and their practices and then just brought into the coaching world with no understanding of them and are just like thrown around as like cool things to do at a start. So again, you can get that Mm. nice video recording of everyone like, woo, you know, hands in the air clapping and stuff. And it's like, I don't want to stand here and clap. Um, You know, culturally it's different for me. It doesn't make sense to me. So I love how you shared like some really simple things that we take for granted because it might seem good to us or also it might just seem commonplace. We've never questioned why we would do it otherwise. I think to start off with how we want to experience, which that's what I did anyway, how I want to experience the world of these programs and things that made me feel uncomfortable or that I was like, oh, why are we doing it this way? And then asking myself the question so I can apply it to my own business. But like you said, always coming back down to consent and what feels good and I too will do whatever feels good for my client unless it starts to impact on my own kind of trauma or way of being or my ability as a coach so I love that you shared that because we don't want to go too far the other way as well so what are some of the ways that having a trauma trauma sensitive practices can support our businesses to grow and our clients to thrive we've talked a lot about perhaps some of the things that aren't so good, but like how can just showing up, being aware of trauma, being a decent human being, help our businesses and our clients? Something that I've noticed for sure is, hmm, how do I describe this? Um, I actually, the precise species actually escapes my brain. So I'm just going to say a type of bamboo, okay? <laughs> I think it's bamboo or is it bonsai? a plant species let's just say that keep it super broad there is a plant species that when planted takes five years before it starts sprouting from the ground not to say what I'm about to say like you know this will put your business like on pause for five years before you see any results that's not what I mean but it's a similar premise anyway there's a type of plant species that again it takes five years from when it first is uh, when it's first sowed like the seed is sowed um, in order for it to actually reach above ground 
So within those five years, it's being incubated basically um, through the, the fertility of the soil, the conditions of moisture and sunlight and all of those things before it's able to stand strong above the soil. Why am I talking about this? Because I love analogies, that's one reason. <laughs> but another thing is you may find, this is the unsexy stuff, all right? So you may find that the more and more you look into more trauma-sensitive practices to implement into your business, that the upfront yield you are probably used to will probably change. However, the back-end yield, i.e. when it's sprouted above the soil, it stands incredibly strong because of the time that has been taken to cultivate such a strong foundation. In my business, what does it look like? I'm very well aware that some of my sales practices probably, yep, it probably hinders the income that can come through my bank account. However, I'm, I learned such a huge difference between the clients that would come through my doors when I use marketing sales tactics as I did not know that it was back then versus when I took a more value-based approach <laughs> to my sales practices and I noticed that a huge difference in caliber of the clientele I have so what does that mean they are the people who stay long term and truly truly advocate for my work so it's really more about that retention strength than it is lead acquisition, right? So it's, it's a very uncomfortable change. And I really wanna take a moment here to say that I acknowledge that I'm in a position of privilege where I can slow down and experience that dip in income at first. So if you're thinking, well, Michaela, I can't do that. Yeah, you do you with whichever season you're in, no judgment. Because I am in that position, I do get to experiment and learn and hopefully feedback things that are, will hopefully be useful, like, for example, on this podcast episode today. So again, your front end yield might change in a way that you probably think, oh, this is kind of terrifying because my income's taking a dip. But I notice, I'm, I see the long game. I really do. And so the, again, the kind of clients that come through my doors now, especially for my sustainable visibility incubator, which is six months long, I can tell that they're gonna stay for a while. There are, the everyone in the first round came for the second round, for example. And the new round I have, again, caliber of conversations, incredible. So it's a hard pill to swallow when you're so used to instant gratification and visible results. It's funny because we're talking about visibility, right? But I invite you to consider the yield that happens on an invisible level where you can't see it, but you can only experience it when it shows up when it's meant to. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for your answer. You're so right. And I do love your analogies. I'm a, I love analogies too. And they're <laughs> so good. Like I had such a beautiful visual when you're explaining that. So thank you. And you're right. I know that from my own personal experience that I was like, but what happens like if everything that I've worked so hard for, put all my time, energy, creativity into, like I know I want to change. It doesn't feel right. But yeah, like if I stop, is it going to all come crashing down? 
And you're right. Sometimes there is a dip or a change. I didn't have a financial dip, but I did have a strong change in the types of clients. And you're right. A lot of my clients stick around for years and do everything that I offer. And the most incredible people that I get to support, the relationships are deeper. The work we do is stronger. The results they get are just incredible. They're the results that they want. They're not the superficial quick fixes as well. Because I feel like if you're going to just invite people in, you know, bro marketing, you know, you're going to put out your visibility strategies. I'll get you X, Y, and Z really quickly. Come hang out with me. You'll get blah, blah results. They're the type of clients you get in who then also want that. And I feel like it just kind of perpetuates this ongoing cycle of everyone not feeling great, not everyone really getting what they want, not everyone really being seen and heard. Yet we're stuck in these cycles of visibility, of marketing, of sales, and we feel like we can't get out of it. And yes, it is, like you said, a very um, privileged position to be in. But I actually saved up a lot of money in anticipation of slowly making the switch and seeing a drop in sales. So I did for six to nine months. It's like, things have got to change. It doesn't feel right. I don't know what the answer is yet, but I started putting away extra finances in anticipation Mm. for that. I didn't see a financial change, but I know that that is like common, but I prepared for it like I do with everything else because you're so right. I could not have financially just stopped and being like, well, if I don't have any clients for six months, that's fine. Um, Mm. I was like the breadwinner of my family. So I, I couldn't... Um, do that so I love that you acknowledge that but for a lot of my clients who do make the change like you said a lot of front uh, work and energy and time but then when it starts happening it grows so quickly and Mm -hmm. they're prepared for it too though they're prepared for their success they're prepared for their visibility I love that you said that they're prepared for like the questions they're prepared to like we've been talking about today, support their clients in a trauma-sensitive way. They're prepared to do the additional training that they've been called to do. They're just prepared as opposed to constantly scrambling, burnt out, you know, frustrated, excited, and sad, you know, all of those kind of like whirlwind emotions we talk about in business. My clients feel those less. They can weather the storm um, to use like analogies because they are prepared. (laughs) Do you find that as well? Yeah, 100%. Because, I mean, what I hear a lot when there are conversations around visibility is always put yourself out there or take a leap outside of your comfort zone. And that can work for some. But again, depending on which lenses you see the world through, that can be genuinely quite traumatizing. Um, Like, again, I shared my story earlier on, and I'm very prone to anxiety as well. So if anything, that sends me in a downward spiral. If I if I go too far and not having the resources, not having the support and systems in place, should that grow exponentially, is everything just going to crash down, you know? So that's why you absolutely must have the support and the systems in place in order for that growth to happen. And you can kind of remove yourself from it and not feel like you're being thrown in the deep end, literally because I I can see a huge difference between when people place themselves out there, which again is with their consent versus putting themselves out there and like throwing themselves, throwing themselves into the fire actually. And it's because that's what mainstream advice tells us to do in order to be more visible. I'm like, no, no. (laughs) I mean, if you can handle that, you do you. But if you have a lens that is like and the way that uh, Tanya Geyser described it, she is my go-to person on all things imposter complex. 
she said that imposter complex amplifies the further and further away you are from the quote-unquote dominant culture right so that can be in many ways or the dominant identity that I should say that instead yeah the yeah so the more and more the further and further away you are from the dominant identity in a particular lens the more this fear the more this resistance amplifies and for a good reason because it all of these mainstream ways of doing things were built with a particular lens in mind to thrive the most in and if you're not that then it's way harder and I feel that's really not acknowledged enough because it isn't acknowledged enough it's not just feeling it's the truth <laughs> and so yeah that's just um something I've had to learn the hard way and why I felt so I almost felt like I was betraying myself a lot when I was like implementing all of these strategies without regard for my mental well-being especially and my and being a trauma survivor I'm so glad you share that that is so true I love how you say what was it place yourself as opposed to put Put yourself yourself. yes oh I love that again like just to switch in language you know the visuals that I get and the feeling that I get is so different because I never want to push myself or put myself out there and I just use those sayings because people understand what they mean but that's not actually what I teach or my approach or how I want to feel let alone how I want to support my clients so I love that you shared that because I think that is so like it acknowledges people where they're at like you said it acknowledges sensitivities it acknowledges different identities and where we see ourselves in like the wider kind of context of the world and then it allows us to go cool where do I want to place myself like where do I feel comfortable to like slot in or put my hand up as opposed to like you said literally pushing ourselves I can just imagine someone in a crowd being like pushed into the middle of an arena being like hey do your thing as opposed to standing there and someone saying hey do you want to come in you're like no I'm fine or like yeah sounds cool I'm gonna like jump in it's such a different visual and I think that can be really supportive for people when they're sitting there being like should I shouldn't I should I shouldn't I and feeling all of that kind of like angst because there is some normal kind of fear but I think anyone who's experienced anxiety or trauma in their body which I think many of us have can really tell the difference between a little bit of like oh you know kind of giddy fear excitement and actually feeling pure like dread or adrenaline it's so different so I think that Mm. asking themselves that question am I pushing myself or am I placing myself could be exactly what they need to see in that moment so what's the one thing I know we've talked about a lot but the like, one oh, what, thing what, what should I consolidate it to <laughs> like listeners to take away from our conversation on visibility with a trauma sensitive lens hmm. this is such a good question and I'm because I know that we like meandered so much through this conversation which I feel really does need a part two maybe even part three <laughs> Uh, two for the continuation but if I were to say anything so I've got another analogy for you I guess <laughs> so when people think about which visibility strategy should I try they only think about their capacity to do that one thing but they actually often forget to take into account how much is required of them capacity wise and the capacity could be you know time energy anything you want right before and after 
So the way I think about it, it helps. Um, I'm quite a visual learner, as you can probably tell with all these analogies. <laughs> so if you think of an airplane, right? An airplane doesn't just go from being on the ground and suddenly up, God, goodness knows how many feet in, in the sky. Let's just say 10,000 feet. It doesn't do that. It needs a runway for a long time before it even lifts off. And it needs a runway when it lands as well. The problem is, again, when people often implement in vis visibility strategies, they just think about the liftoff point and not the runway it takes before and after. So if you are going to implement anything, make sure that you've taken that into account, how much time it's gonna take, how much energy it's going to take from you and the timeliness, I guess, with um, everything else. Cause I've said no to a lot of visibility strategy um, opportunities that I've had the honor to be considered for. Like I literally just got asked to be on a panel at a live event, but I've had to say no. And many summits, being an affiliate for various promotions, I've had to say no, 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 because I acknowledge my runway <laughs> before and after and the actual event itself. So, because I teach podcast guesting, like how people can book themselves on aligned podcasts to expand their reach and grow their business. So when people tell me, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch like a hundred people like you did in a month. And I'm like, no, no, please don't do that because I did that without knowing <laughs> what my capacity is. So like, so let's just use podcast guessing as an example. You may want to be on all of these podcasts. You may want a hundred interviews in a year, but do you actually have the capacity to do your research properly, to pitch them, to follow up? to fill out their forms, to do the interview and promote, because please do not be that person who never promotes where they're being showcased, because that's just a no-no for podcasters. <laughs> so that's, that's an example there. And suddenly when I say that, that number, 100, gets reduced a lot. And yes, in the grant upfront, it may seem like, oh, but I'm having less reach. But actually, you really want to only have reach in places that you can show up for and not show up once and disappear. So that's a long answer to your question. Hopefully that was enough. So just think of the airplane, okay? So make sure you have room in the runway before and after, not just the actual liftoff. Boom. That is so true. <laughs> incredible advice, incredible practical advice to end on because I can see here all of my clients already being like, this is an amazing podcast. And because we're high achievers and we're recovering perfectionists, we're probably going to like list 20 things that we need to do off the base of this episode, let alone everything else we're doing. And I think that just really grounds us. See what I did there with the analogy. <laughs> um, into <laughs> thinking like small, considered, thoughtful actions, steps, for visibility, for doing this work is what is needed, not frantic, like, you know, everywhere kind of approach. Being focused is going to get you more visibility, more results. You're going to feel more aligned, more ethical, um, and know that you're acknowledging the humanness, your humanity, yourself, and in others. So I think that is what I've taken away from this episode. Thank you so much for coming onto the Rachel Kujip show and sharing your story, insights, and wisdom. I know listeners are going to get so much from everything that you've shared. 
Well, thank you so much for holding the space to allow this conversation to come through because I can't talk about just I can't talk about all of this just with anyone. So case in point. Thanks. <laughs> thank you so much. So kind. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. If you found what I've shared valuable, please leave a review and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss when a new episode drops every Wednesday.